Thank you, worship team. Well, good morning. It's a delight to be able to open God's word with you today. We're going to be looking at a Genesis chapter 19. And um, just kind of start off our time here, I want to reference a, probably if Anya and I had to pick a movie that is our all-time favorite together, um, I'm going to mention here in a minute, but I believe we all start out in life kind of thinking we're going to conquer the world. Do you ever see that little three-year-old who just thinks they own the world? And uh, I think the movie that captures it best is the 1946, It's a Wonderful Life. How many adults in the room have actually seen an adult movie, It's a Wonderful Life? All right, I want to encourage you with that. But in short, George marries Mary, and they're driving away in the car, And as they're driving away with this big wad of cash, they're just shouting how they're going to conquer the world, and they're going to see everything the world has to offer. And if you know the movie, there's a bank run just before they leave town. And they never go on their honeymoon. And they never see the world. And they never leave their town. In fact, I see this very similar as new Christians. Oftentimes, people describe coming to faith in Christ as like breathing for the first time or having this newfound freedom in Christ, and they can't imagine ever going back. They just can't. In fact, I see new Christians frequently thinking, this is the new way, and I will never walk back in the old way, and that's the command for us. But soon life happens. People hurt us. The world changes. Circumstances change. We get messages from the world with our five senses telling us stuff. We compromise just a little bit. Just a little bit. One stretch of the truth. A choice to live by sight instead of by faith today. A little bit of lust. We get busy and we're out of God's word. We get stressed and tired. We get offended at people. We spend less time and less time in God's word. We spend less time and less time with God's people. And we spend more time focusing on things that we were never meant to control. We spend more time trying to explore how we control things that we were never meant to control. And we start spending less time focusing on how to love and trust God. And we spend more time trying to figure out how to control life. And bit by bit, day by day, little compromises move us into the current of sinful worldliness. We don't realize it, but all of a sudden we find ourselves getting into the current. And if you've ever gone tubing, you've ever done any wading in the river, you realize it's not difficult to be downstream. And you get to a point where, at one point in your life, you say, how did I end up here? You compromised. That's it. You compromised. Little bits. Compromise always leads us to sad news. It always leads to a loss of freedom, and it always ruins our lives. So today we're going to be looking in Genesis 19, 
And it's really, again, not to be a Debbie Downer after the 4th of July and celebrations and all. It really is a sad chapter of a sad life. In fact, I think God gives us these sad chapters to help us realize that he's created us for something much more. So before we get into chapter 19, I want to give you the kind of the context of what's, what's the dialogue going on. The Lord is having, a, in chapter 18, the Lord is having a conversation with Abraham. And he shares a story with Abraham about his plan to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their great sin. Now we're going to be covering what their sin is in a few minutes. But Abraham proceeds to beg God. God, if there's 50 people in, this, in this, these two communities that fear you, that are righteous, would you not destroy the city? And God in his mercy says, yeah, of course I'll spare the city. And the dialogue goes back and forth, 50 to 45, all the way down to 10. Lord, if there's 10 people between the two cities, would you please spare it? And there wasn't 10. So, God sends his two angels into Sodom and Gomorrah to rescue a handful of Abraham's family. Today, we're going to be reading about Lot, Abraham's nephew. Now, when you hear the word nephew, we typically think of as a young kid. But if you look at the text, we just reason to believe he's quite old. He's not a young kid. This is an adult, well-advanced adult man, for sure. And Lot knew what he was doing. But in chapter 13, he set up his life in the middle of Sin City. He compromised so long. That after all these years in Sin City, all he had was bad choices. And you know how that works, right? When compromise comes in, or the temptation to compromise, we have lots of options. That's why it's so tempting. And real quick, the window starts shrinking. The options start shrinking. And really, for born-again Christians, it doesn't take long before, when you're in compromise, before you start feeling miserable. It doesn't. I believe that uh, Peter captures it really well. He says this in 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll get this up here in a minute here. There we go. He says that in chapter 2, if he condemned the cities, he's talking about Lot, of Sodom and Gomorrah, by burning them to ashes... And made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. Listen to this. For that righteous man lived among them day after day. He was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and he heard. That would be a description of somebody who has a relationship with God and yet is living in a compromised life. Torment in his righteous soul day after day. Now, if you've noticed in your life that there's compromise or that your options are starting to dwindle, I want to encourage you to listen up because Lot compromised a long time And according to the text, he was there about 25 years. So think of a compromise for 25 years, okay? His compromise had devastation and eternal consequences, not only in his life, 
but in the lives of his entire family. So with that, let me pray and ask God to help us understand what's going on in chapter 19, and we'll just go verse by verse through this text. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us understand and see by your Spirit what chapter 19 is saying and what it is that you would have us do in response to a sad life, one that did not uh, live by your truths. Lord, please reveal areas of compromise in our own hearts that we may be faithful to you, we might love you, and we might trust you more fully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's pick it up. We'll pick it up in verses 1 through 3. So that's Genesis 19, verses 1 through 3. We can read it together. It says, The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, And Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. Uh, No, they answered, we'll spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they, did not, that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. So we're going to move fairly quickly, and you guys can see it in your outline there. But I want to just encourage you to just start seeing this unfold about how his compromise ended up ruining his life and the lives of others. So the first thing we see in verses 1 through 3 is that he compromised long enough that he started to feel the risk. If you look back in the text there in verse 2, he quickly devises a plan. My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. Come in here. You can wash your feet and I'll feed you, right? And according to verse 3, he insisted strongly. Now, I asked the question, why did he insist so strongly? It's not like he knew these people. And I think he understood this. He saw something in them that was godlike, and he knew that did not mix with the compromise around him. He knew there was going to be a clash very soon. And so he devises a plan. Come in here, quick. Shh, get in here, quick. This is his plan. Getting him inside was his way of kind of secretly bringing the righteous men into his home and kind of separating those two worlds because he knew they didn't play nice. Today it's a, shh, you can't say that. Shh, that's offensive. They'll think you're weird. You'll get caught. But I would say this is when you compromise sooner or later, you start feeling that risk and you start feeling that panic. And I just want to give you a quick warning. I want to cautiously warn you that when you start to feel that risk, pay attention. Because that's a gift from the Lord that you feel that risk. Because if you ignore it, you'll soon actually let it go. And you'll soon start justifying things. You'll soon not care. That's a bad sign. Let's pick it up in verses 4 to 7. It says this, Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have sex with them. 
Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind them and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. So we can see next, he compromised long enough that he endangered his guests. The angels were there for one purpose. They were not coming into Sodom and Gomorrah for a good time. They were coming in to pull Abraham's family out of city. And they were in danger because of his choice to identify and associate with sin. Now, if you look at verse 5, it doesn't take long for things to get out of hand spiritually when you compromise. They called to Lot, where are the men? Now, we oftentimes don't think that our choices or our compromises affect others. We oftentimes think my compromise is about my me, about myself, about I, right? But it's never the case. It's not. In fact, we're often clueless how our compromises harm other people. But very quickly, the situation escalates. And they say, let's bring these men out and we can have our way with them. Some of your translations say to know them. Well, he says in verse 7, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. So the question is, what is this wicked thing? The term in verse 5 for no is actually this term sodomy. And if you've heard that term, it came from this passage. It's to have same gender relations or to know. And some churches who have compromised have said that this is a form of Middle Eastern hospitality. It's not true. You can see how in verse 7, how Lot says, don't do this wicked thing. He calls it. This is just wicked. And in case you want to know that word no in verse 5, it's the same word in Genesis 4. It says that Adam knew his wife and she became pregnant. So it gives you an idea of what the scripture is teaching about this idea of knowing. So there's compromise in the church today that seeks to call sexual immorality, but especially homosexuality, good and acceptable in God's sight. The Bible disagrees. I say that in a very gentle way. The Bible disagrees. And so I don't know what you're personally dealing with. I don't know what's your spiritual battle. But the Bible actually calls acting on homosexuality a sin. The Old Testament calls it sin and wickedness. The New Testament just as much calls it sin and wickedness. In Romans chapter 1, it says in verses 18 to 32, I'll summarize it we'll, and we'll come back to that in a little bit, but God is clearly seen by all that is made in creation. When you look outside, you look at that sunset, God is clearly seen. The Bible says in Romans 1 that we know there is a God and that we're accountable to him. Sinful human nature doesn't like to be told what to do. Any of you not like to be told what to do? You feel that chest puff up when somebody tells you what to do? None of us like to be told what to do. But it's our sinful human nature that doesn't like God telling us what to do. And he's got the right because he's the creator. It's called sin. Romans 1 describes sin as wickedness and a violation of God's holiness. And it says in Romans 1 that sin comes into the picture when people don't glorify God 
or give him thanks. That's it. They don't glorify God or give him thanks. How many of you all have had moments of life where you just haven't glorified God or just plain out, you just failed to give him thanks? It's a really heavy warning in Romans 1 because it says, because people didn't glorify God or give him thanks, their minds became darkened. They started worshiping idols. Men started having unnatural lust for other men, women for women. And then it says people became more and more dark. And then it has this whole list of additional sins, of sins of uh, greed, envy, gossip, disobedience to parents, God-haters. Look at the world over. Do we see this stuff going on? Look in the mirror. Do we see this stuff going on? So I say that to you, that the book of Romans communicates that where this sin talked about in Genesis 19 of homosexuality is sin, it puts it, in, uh, Paul puts it in the same context as all these other things that we would call sin. So it's sin. There's two other passages that help us understand it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, or drunkards, or slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So here you have it in 1 Corinthians 6, and that homosexuality is listed right along other activities that God considers sin in the New Testament. This activity keeps us from a relationship with God. And it is only through the precious blood of Christ that we can have forgiveness of sins and relate with God. Jude 1.7 says that again, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. So what was going on there was sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So, in case you're wondering if I'm becoming hard on this, I just want to make sure this. Let's not drift with the current of today's culture. The Bible's clear on these things. We don't have to go around judging other people. The Word of God just says these things, and so we have to believe what the Word of God says. So, we know in this text... That what they're talking about, the Bible describes as perversion and immorality. And so this is not a greater sin than other sins, but let's not, not call it sin. It is sin. Okay? So God's plan for our sexuality is one man, one woman in marriage before him. That's his plan. Anything outside of that pornography, sleeping around, anything outside of that plan is what the Bible describes as sexual sin. Okay? So, we saw that in verse 7, that our choices bring uh, danger to other people, and things started getting out of control. We'll see in verse 8, you guys can check it out there, he compromised long enough to give his daughters away. And we'll see here, look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do whatever you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. 
Yeah, you just read that. If you've not read chapter 19 before, every one of us should have a sick stomach. It should turn us. He says, look, I've got two young, beautiful, pure daughters. Do with them what you desire. What? Are you kidding me? When I read this a couple weeks ago, I was, I was feeling anger in my office. I was feeling this, do I throw up? I feel like I want a punch lot. What are you doing? These are your girls. This is like the ultimate father failure. And I started asking this question, how long do you have to compromise to behave like that? Really? How long do you have to compromise? Lot, what were you thinking? And here's where I landed. He compromised long enough. He only had two bad options. Remember I told you the window shrinks? He didn't have all these options. He had two bad options. It led to his loss of freedom. It harmed those closest to him. He had no good choices. And he offered up his pure daughters because of his compromise. So before we go on to chat verses 9 to 13, what freedoms are you losing? Pay attention. What freedoms are you losing? Because it can reveal that there's compromises coming along the way. There's freedom in Christ. Who the Son has set free, they're free indeed. There's freedom in Christ. Wherever the Lordship of Jesus Christ is, there is more freedom. I know we don't say amen, but that one is definitely worth an amen. amen. Okay, wherever the Lordship of Jesus Christ is, and the follower of Christ, there's freedom. Okay? So keep that in mind as we move on. We see that he compromised enough to give his daughters away. We'll see in verses 9 to 13, he compromised long enough that the community had no respect for the moral ground that he sought to stand on. Let's pick it up in verse, uh, let's pick it up in verses 9 to 13. He says, get out, of, get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge? We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house, and he shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not see the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city that belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against this people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. You see that actually he compromised long enough that actually as he began to say, don't do this wicked thing, the response is, and who are you? Now, he lived there how many years, I said? 25 years. You would think he'd become part of the woodwork. He was part of the culture. So he thought until he stood on some form of moral ground. That's how it works. The world has always done what is right in their own eyes. It's always been that way. And when you seek for long periods of time to be liked by the world, 
you will morally slide. And in verse 9, sooner or later, like they said here, they will part ways with you and the world will reject you because when you seek to stand on a moral footing, you're essentially saying is God has revealed himself and he has the right to tell us what to do. That will never sell tickets. That will never be liked. So if you can compromise over here and you think, okay, I've had enough. I've had enough. I've got, I've got to stand on something. By the time you've compromised that long, they're not going to listen to you, friends. The sooner we come to grips that God has spoken, his word is truth and brings freedom, and we live on God's word, we can come to grips that it's okay if we're rejected. The problem is when born-again Christians live their life trying to be liked by the world, and we live out of the reality that the world's always going to do what's right in their own eyes. So the sooner that we as believers in Jesus realize this, that they're standing on sinking sand, the sooner we'll take the stand on God's word that we need to uh, take. And I would say this, the sooner we stand on the truth of God's word, not what I like, not my political views, but the sooner we stand on God's word, the stronger our impact will be in a world that's out to sea swimming. All right. We'll read in verse 14. He compromised so long that his son-in-laws didn't even respect him spiritually. They didn't take him spiritually serious. It says in verse 14, So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law, sons-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry, get out of this place because the Lord's about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. There's an exclamation point there. This is exclamatory. This is a, we got to get out of the city right now. And his son-in-laws, or soon-to-be son-in-laws, didn't perceive him to be spiritually serious. If you had to get spiritually serious, would the people around you perceive you to be that person? Or would they say, who's this? He had no weight to his words. His words were just air. These young men were soon to be his core family. These guys were coming into his inner circle. These were the guys going to marry his daughters. And they had no spiritual respect for their soon-to-be father-in-law. I think maybe offering up your da- his daughters may have had something to do with that. You think they may have heard that my father-in-law just offered my wife-to-be to a crowd of men? We're going to see in verse 15 to 25. He compromised so long that his entire family emotionally attached to a point of not wanting to leave. Let's read it, pick it up in verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angel urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters where you are, who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. 
for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in, in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near, near enough to run to and it's small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to them, very well, I will grant you this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. But flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and all the vegetation in the land. So we see that he compromised long enough that his family emotionally attached to not leaving. Glance back at verse 16 with me. He didn't even follow what he spiritually said when he hesitated. So in other words, he's telling his son-in-laws, get out of Dodge, yet he hesitated. He hesitates and didn't lead his family here. In fact, his wife and his daughters didn't listen either. But the end of verse 16, if you have a highlighter, it's time to highlight it in your Bible. For the Lord was merciful to them. Now, we might be tempted to think that God is a God of just judgment all the time. But friends, the God is, our God is a God of mercy as well. And in chapter 18, he was willing to be merciful for just 10. And here, it says the Lord is merciful, and that is why they were rescued. It took the Lord's mercy to grab their hand and literally dragged them away from their emotional attachment. Verse 17, the angel warned not to look back because he knew their hearts were there. And in verse 24, the burning sulfur rained down, complete and total judgment. And that phrase, not only destroying the city, but those living in them and the vegetation, it's just the picture of complete judgment. And God must judge sin, friends. And I think there's a temptation that somehow stuff slips past God's sight. Don't ever be tempted to believe that despair. Things don't slip past the sight, even though it doesn't feel like it at times. Verses 26 to 29, we see that he compromised long enough that his wife and daughters made Sodom and Gomorrah home. Look at verse 26. But Lot's wife looked back, and became a pillar of salt. Yeah, you read that. Became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe, but overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. So his wife saw Sodom and Gomorrah as home. And I don't believe verse 26 is the act of looking back that she was judged for. Because if that's were the case, you'd see in verse 26 that Abraham, or verse 28, Abraham would have been turned into salt too. 
He came out and looked over the, uh, the cities. But according to verse 26, I believe it's the act of looking with desire. It's the act of looking back with approval. She emotionally looked back with this deep stomach ache longing for Sin City. She put down her roots. And either she was originally from Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's where Lot got his wife, or she became his wife and she put down roots. Either way, she was very attached to Sodom and Gomorrah. It was her identity. It was her heart. So the question is, if Lot is such a spiritual failure, even though Peter calls him a godly man that's tormented day and night, if he's such a failure, why did God spare Lot? Look at that, verse 29. So when God destroyed the cities, he remembered Abraham. Lot benefited from the Abraham's relationship with God. If you are in compromise, maybe you're reaping the spiritual benefit of somebody else's relationship around you. Maybe it's your spouse or your parents. God remembered Abraham and it benefited Lot. That is God's grace. Getting something we don't deserve. Friends, if you're compromising and yet you're finding you're experiencing God's grace, don't leave it in the dust. Pay attention to it. We're going to cover two more points, and I believe I'm going to give you some encouragement after all this. I know it's heavy, but it's good for us to be able to see and be warned of this. Verses 30 and 30, 30 to 32, we'll see. He compromised long enough that his daughters adopt the immorality they grew up with. Lot and his two daughters left Zor and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. Now one day the older daughter said to the younger, My father is old, and there is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the world. Let's go get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our, fam- our father. He had two daughters that we know of. They were born and raised in Sodom. And again, Abraham was 75 when they parted ways. And just before in chapter 18, uh, chapter 18, he was right around 100. So we know it's 25 years. And they were identified as marriageable virgins And when the Bible describes a marriageable virgin, it's it's actually a teenager. That's essentially what it's saying. And the girls, I'm pretty convinced, must have heard their father using them as bargaining tools with the mob men. And they watched their hopes of having children dashed when their husbands-to-be were killed. And the text is clear, is that they saw having children only through their control, not something God had control over. They justified sexual immorality to control an outcome, something they were never, never, never meant to control. Living in a sinful world does not equal bad kids, so don't be discouraged. Living in a sinful world does not equal bad kids, but the level at which parents assimilate to an evil world creates an uphill battle for kids to walk after the Lord. Did you catch that? Having children in a sinful world does not mean your children are going to be evil. 
But the level which parents assimilate to a sinful world creates an uphill battle for your children if they're going to follow the Lord. And when Lot offered his daughters at the door, he revealed his heart to his kids about what he really believed. What do your current choices reveal to your children or grandchildren? Lastly, we see in verse 38, uh, 33 to 38, he compromised so long that he numbly and blindly and ignorantly slept with his daughters. That night, they got their, verse 33, they got their father to drink wine and the oldest daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up, so he was completely drunk. Verse 34, the next day, the older daughter said to the younger Last night I slept with father. Let's get him drunk to drink again and you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night and the younger daughter went in and slept with him again. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The oldest daughter had a son and she named him Moab. He's the father of the Moabites today. The younger daughter also had a son and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites today. The result of their sin, they had two children who became the fathers of the Moabites and the Ammonites. If you read much of the Old Testament, you find out both of these men had family groups that became enemies of Israel. Compromise is never about us. It hurts everyone, especially those closest to us and even future generations. So, don't believe the lie that compromise is just about you. Well, Seth, this is an exciting day. Nice to hear all this. This is really uplifting. How about that sunshine, right? Who starts their life and says, I want to fail in every possible way? Nobody. But we engage in compromise. So as your outline says, we want to end on a bright note. I want to end on light and truth. God's word guides us out of compromise. Matthew 6.22, it says, that Jesus says in Matthew 6, it is the eye is the lamp of the body. So the body follows what the eyes see. And Proverbs 4 says it this way, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So, I believe God's word gives us answers to curb compromise in our life. As the eyes go, so does the body. You become like what you look at. And this leads us to the principle that I've read some years ago. Andy Stanley really encouraged it in his book. But it's this, that it's the, called the principle of the path. Every choice we make, we like to think that our choices are just little choices. Every choice is a path. Every path leads you to a destination. Your direction or what has your attention, not your intentions, determines your destination. That's the biblical principle of the path. That what has your eyes, your body will follow. And every choice is a path. Every path leads you to destination. People intend to be walking with God. 
But what has your attention and what you follow will determine your destination. So the question I have, as I'm going to be closing here in a minute, is how did Lot land in Sin City? Glance with me just a couple chapters back in chapter 13. In verse 10, Abraham and Lot, their families were doing this. And Abraham said, Lot, pick where you want to go. And this is where Lot did not abide by the principle of the past. He didn't realize as the eyes go, so does the body. Lot looked around, verse chapter 13, verse 10. Lot looked around and saw when they went to go part that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So you see, he was pleasing to the eye. Things that are pleasing to the eye are not necessarily bad. But followers of Christ need to be asking this question. Why is it pleasing and where is it going to take me? They need to keep the path in mind that as the eyes go, so does the body. He saw not only beautiful land, but he also saw opportunity in sin. So the question is, where have you compromised with your eyes? What had Lot's attention? Good looking things. What's got your attention? But I want to take it a step further in our closing here. Where have you compromised in your heart? The inside part of you. Have you suppressed the truth? 2020 has been a very difficult and hard year so far. I only have 39 years to actually compare. And it's, this is a weird, hard year. And there's plenty for everyone to complain about. And there's plenty of confusion and chaos out there that would tempt us to not glorify and give him thanks. But do you want to know the most subtle way that compromise creeps in? Romans 1 says before the whole list, people didn't glorify God or give him thanks. And as a result, all of this sin came into our life and existence. So the real way we compromise is stop glorifying God and giving him thanks. Considering the last seven months, have you compromised? Here's a series of questions for you. Have you backed off your life purpose in bringing God glory? You've compromised. Have you allowed discontentment or ingratitude to God to settle in? You've compromised. Have you stopped making your life decisions uh, based on trusting God? compromised? Have you allowed current data or news to lead you instead of a love-trust relationship with the Son and the Word of God? You've compromised. Are you actively seeking ways to express your thankfulness to Christ? Not? You've compromised. Are you seeking ways to honor Christ? If not, you've compromised. Have you allowed the desires of your eyes to lead you into sexual immorality? You've compromised. And lastly, have you been swimming in God's word and allowing the Holy Spirit to teach and correct and guide you? If not, you've compromised. 
So you say, Seth, what are we supposed to do with this? All right, we don't want to be like Lot. There's the principle of the path. As the eyes go, so does the body. Your direction, not your intentions, determines your destination. And we know that it's glorifying God and giving him thanks. Okay, that's all these things. What, what, okay, I understand I've, I'm compromised and I want to walk with God. Here's where we're at in our final closing here. If you've compromised, the first step is admitting that you've compromised with God. Here it is. You agree with God about his holiness and what he says about sin. Don't look at the world. We agree with God and his word. Number two, we confess that sin to God as wicked and ask his forgiveness. Number three, and this is what we celebrate at the beginning of our service. We receive forgiveness from Christ by what he did on the cross and taking our punishment for sin upon himself. And then fourth, and I think this is so key and crucial, in response to his love, his forgiveness, and his holiness, you turn away from that sin. You replace those past sinful choices of compromise with obeying the Holy Spirit and his word and bringing him glory. So it's not just feeling bad about your compromise, friends. It's confessing it to God. It's receiving his forgiveness based upon what Jesus did. And then it's following the Holy Spirit and walking in that new freedom. This is the normal Christian life. And this is what we're called to do. It's time to stop worrying about all the chaos outside the world. And I want to encourage you with this. Start dealing with what is going on in here. You ready for the return of Christ? Are you? Because we start dealing with stuff here. Next week, Pastor Sid's going to be starting a new series. He's coming back. He is. He's starting a new series next week. He's coming back. <laughs> Sid's coming back. And he, okay, all right. But the question I have for you is, are we dealing with the compromise inside so that we're ready for his return? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much that we, uh, we have your word. It's truth and light and guides us. Lord, I know it's true, and one of the things I take delight in, and it shows us the ugly stuff of, of people and humanity, and um, what a sad chapter. Lord, help us to truly understand that compromise always leads to sadness and brokenness. Lord, you've given us this chapter in 19, to reveal what it looks like to live towards sin. May we always, always remember, Jesus, what you have done on our behalf. May we always remember your wisdom and that you've given us a path to walk, keeping our eyes on you, Jesus. And Lord, may you help us to glorify you and give you thanks in the little details of life so that we don't compromise in those little things. We are so thankful and so delighted that it, while we're swimming, you anchor us and you bring light to our eyes and we can walk after you by the help of your spirit. Again, we love you. I pray that my friends here would not walk out of here uh, down, but they would feel a sense of there is freedom in Christ. And that's who I used to be and I don't have to be that anymore. May you help us, please, to walk after you and bring glory to you. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.